Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 207, Inferiority Complex, Imposter Syndrome, or Something Else. It's February 7th, 2024. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, etc. I am also a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. What I do is I help people be happy, healthy, and well-loved even when life is extremely difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any capacity. There is no longer any music for my podcast intros or outros. I invite you to join the movement and request other podcasters and social media content creators to ditch the music when combined with voice because that makes it more accessible for people who have hearing loss or who are hard of hearing. End of non-musical podcast intro. Inferiority complex imposter syndrome or something else. Before I break this apart, I invite you to visit my website and enter my giveaway. I really am hoping to get the giveaway all caught up in March. It's not too far away, but I'm hopeful. As I mentioned in my podcast intro, this is my disclaimer. Nothing I say is intended or designed to be medical or therapy advice. It is simply not intended or designed for that. I do have transcripts on my hosting platform, rss.com. I'm not happy with the current setup. I'm working to fix the format so the transcripts become much more usable. If you're feeling suicidal or hopeless or life is too hard for you, my request is that you call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or call or text 988. Please do that. We have plenty of help available. Inferiority complex, imposter syndrome, or something else. This content of this podcast impacts roughly 85% of the population given the statistic that the prevalence of low self-esteem, which is the umbrella of this topic, affects 85% of the world's population. There doesn't seem to be any disagreement about that statistic. It pops up like, da-da, 85%. Like, it seems like there's no disagreement. So why is this so common? If you have been listening to my podcast and following along over the past couple of years, you have heard me go through list after list after list, long lists of traumas and life events and life challenges and situations that can contribute to someone having an inferiority complex or not feeling good about themselves. In this podcast, I am broadening the, the root cause. Now, we're, we're as you, if you're following me, if you're following along, we're deepening the research, we're broadening the subject matter, we're, we're free falling into making sense of the world. And this idea of how you think how much control of your mind you have and how much control of your emotions you have will deepen this subject in my humble opinion. Your mind is extremely powerful. Most people are not aware of the power of their mind, nor have many people thought about the different influences that impact how they think. My hope is that the more you understand both the power of your mind and the power of your emotions, and the greater 
you begin to control those things, you will have more control over your life. It is a given. Knowledge is power. My hope is to, to broaden your knowledge and give you more power. Inferiority complex. This, this concept was introduced in 1907 by Dr. Alfred Adler, who was both a physician and, and a psychotherapist. Now, according to the American Psychological Association, an inferiority complex is demonstrated by or characterized by constant feelings of either inadequacy or insecurity in your daily living because you believe you are mentally or physically less than other people, whether it's true or not, whether your perception is accurate or not, you believe that you are somehow inferior to others. Now, this should be noted that this is different from occasional feelings of inferiority or insecurities, which everybody has from time to time. I, I hate to break it to you. Now, interestingly enough, some clinicians, not all clinicians, but some clinicians refer to an inferiority complex as chronic low self-esteem. If you Google inferiority complex in PubMed, in PubMed Central, you will get roughly 23,422 hits on the keyword search inferiority complex. So remember that number, 23,422. So it's just normal and reasonable to have self-doubts or insecurities or sometimes feel like you don't quite measure up. That's not what we're talking about with an inferiority complex. With an inferiority complex, it's more overwhelming, it's more constant, it's, it's as the clinicians call it, chronic low self-esteem. So there's a difference, and I don't want you to go off the deep end if you feel like you have an inferiority complex, because I'm gonna give you lots of good things you can do about that. The next topic of the title of this podcast is imposter syndrome. This concept, the imposter syndrome, was coined by psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes in their 1978 study, which focused on high-achieving women, which they later put into a book. Now, if you Google or use the internet to search the term imposter syndrome, you will come up with so many hits, pages and pages. I don't know how many million hits. I really, I couldn't figure out how, I did a Google search. I couldn't figure out how to figure out what's the number of the search results. They describe imposter syndrome as a fake, feeling fit like you're a fake or you're a phony, despite the fact that you have achieved genuine success. So imposter syndrome is described as you've achieved some success, it's real, it's genuine, yet you feel like a fake or phony. Well, I took a dive into PubMed, PubMed Central to be specific, and used the keyword search imposter syndrome. Now I did, I did talk about this briefly in maybe one or two podcasts, a few podcasts. Now, when you go to PubMed Central, if you're new to my podcast, PubMed Central or PubMed, 
That is the government repository or warehouse of research that they approve. So it is government approved research. It's research. But if you put the key search term imposter syndrome in PubMed Central, you will get 773 hits or results. We're gonna contrast that with inferiority complex, which had 23,422. So this term introduced by Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Ives was introduced 46 years ago. Yet they haven't even broke a thousand articles on PubMed after 46 years. Why is that? This is the this podcast, by the way, if you haven't figured it out, I'm going to give you some hints. This is the rational thinking, critical thinking, research-based podcast. We do things that are research-based and proven. Why? Because you want to use research to your advantage. And you don't want to be all fringy and out on Lululand. Well, you can, you can go there if you want. I, I'm not interested in fringe science. I'm not interested in pop psychology. I'm interested in the dyed-in-the-wool, hard and fast, real science. If you drill down on imposter syndrome in the research in PubMed, limited as it is, what you will find is the research stating that there's no scale. They could not create a scale for measuring imposter syndrome. All of science and research has very stringent standards for measuring, for the, the setup of studies and research so that things can be replicated and validated. They really have some gold standards. And one of the gold standards is isometric, isometric testing. You have to be able to test for things and then the test results have to be proven that they are validated. So in this subject, imposter syndrome, the research stated this was not something that they could measure. It was too subjective. And therefore, the research had to come to a halt because you can't measure things with reliability and replicatability without a scale or some form of measurement. So here we have a term widely used in the lay people's world and with some people quote unquote some quote unquote experts that has no research to back it up because it's too subjective because it can't be replicated because it falls far below the standards for research now you can believe in imposter syndrome all you want i really don't care i have no skin in the game my hope, though, is that you, in listening to this podcast, A, you've moved towards rational thinking, critical thinking, and you've begun to question things, hopefully how you live your life, and hopefully now you're living your life in a more positive, powerful way. But even something like psychoneuroimmunology, which is a very refined area of science, psychology is huge. Psychoneuroimmunology is like a a pinhead on a map in all of science. So psychoneuroimmunology is a small branch of science. And that had 5,223 hits. 
Then you can compare that with neuroplasticity that had like a quarter of a million, 252,105. And, and imposter syndrome is at seven, what I say, 773. Why? Because I just told you. So why are so many people using a term that has been proven to be scientifically not replicatable and not valid and not measurable? Well, you can, you can answer that question for yourself. I, I have lots of things I could say about that, and I just won't. So as far as I'm concerned, imposter syndrome should be banned. It should be eliminated. It's bunk. It's bunk. You know, do what you want with that. Do what you want with that, but the science does not validate it. The science does not support it. You get to choose whatever you want to believe. I'm hopeful that you are going to be interested in sticking with things that can be measured, can be validated, and research that can be replicated. That's that's my hope for you. Anyway, it's another reason, actually, why you should be careful about who you listen to, in my humble opinion. I, I just think that's a good thing for you to consider. All right, so we're going to now move into low self-esteem. So the title of this podcast was uh, Inferiority Complex Imposter Syndrome and something else. Well, the something else is low self-esteem if you hadn't already made that leap. So as I mentioned before, and I've mentioned in many podcasts, by all reports, low self-esteem affects 85% of the population. And I really have found no controversy about that number. So with low self-esteem... That's when you don't feel worthy, you don't feel good enough, you don't feel deserving, you might feel like there's something wrong with you, you might not feel lovable, and that's a deeply, deeply painful condition. It's a deeply painful condition or state of being to have, as I mentioned in so many of my podcasts. Now, by the way, by the way, if you go to PubMed Central and Google, put the search words low self-esteem in, you will get 515,047 results. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, the results are meaningful because sometimes, if, for example, if you put love in the search engine for PubMed or PubMed Central, you'll get a gazillion, and, and that will be because there are several researchers who have the last name love. So you have to be able to refine the search to take out author names to get more, a more valid number. So I'm not saying these numbers are like the most meaningful things in the world. I'm not saying that. They are, however, reference, reference points for data. It's just a reference point. So individuals with low self-esteem, now I'm talking generally speaking, this isn't everybody, but they don't feel good about themselves and they will frequently, not always, but frequently add negative meaning or negative nuance to life, to whatever's being said, whatever happened, some event, some situation. And some people are aware they do that. Some people who have low self-esteem are very aware they do that. And other people might not have uh, woken up to realize that they do that if they in fact do that. And I'm not saying everybody does that. Now, the thing about self-esteem that I only learned in the last year, is that you could have feeling worthy, feeling deserving, feeling good enough tied to something external. So in other words, you could have 
self-esteem attached to your job, your position, your career, your finances, your spouse or significant other, the car that you drive, your house, your kids, or any other aspect of life. This is a problem, in my humble opinion, because if your sense of well-being, your sense of deserving, your sense of feeling good about yourself is tied to your job and you lose your job or it's tied to your spouse and your spouse leaves you or you know like if you're feeling good about yourself is tied to something external and that changes there goes your self-esteem we have seen that in cases so I don't think that's the way to go, people. I really don't think that's a good idea. I'm personally not a fan of that. So I coined the term last year. This is a made-up term. I'm admitting that. Stand-alone self-esteem. Well, I only coined the term last year when I realized that for the, for the, for the 15% that has self-esteem, some of them, it's only because it's attached to they have this gorgeous husband or gorgeous wife or great job or career or money and then I was like wow and then you see people tank because they lose the job the spouse or whatever so I'm not a fan of having your sense of worth your sense of being deserving your sense of being good enough tied to something external that could change I'm just I just that to me makes no sense I personally am a profoundly and deeply grateful that I at a young age developed standalone self-esteem not tied to people places things I'm, I'm just extremely grateful nor did I know that I actually had that until some years ago when I was asking a therapist about in marriage therapy by the way about low self-esteem and he could not stop laughing he said well we know we're not talking about you we know that doesn't apply to you who are you talking about so I was like oh what I don't have low self-esteem like I, I didn't know because I'm just I'm just me but what that doesn't mean that you don't have insecurities that doesn't mean you won't ever have self-doubt it's normal to have insecurities it's normal to have some self-doubt you know, we don't want to make things that are normal seem abnormal because they happen from time to time. And I think that the clinicians who are calling an inferiority complex chronic low self-esteem, I think they have the right idea. It really is low self-esteem just moved on to the next level. Now, if you are struggling with either chronic low self-esteem or regular low self-esteem or intermittent low self-esteem or any level of, of low self-esteem, the good news is you are not stuck with this. This does not have to be in your beautiful future. I already have a podcast about low self-esteem and another one dealing with insecurities. This podcast, however, is going to give you a different approach for low self-esteem. Why? Because we're learning and growing, hopefully together in this podcast channel. I keep introducing the things I'm learning to you because I'm so fascinated and they're helpful to you. So I'm going to be giving you different ideas in this podcast to nurture and build low self-esteem if that applies. 
that will be different than what I did in my podcast on low self-esteem because we're evolving here. Well, hopefully you're evolving. Now, the thing about low self-esteem is that you don't work on it per se. What you do is work on other things. But before I give you the suggestions, I have a couple things I would like to share as someone who has had standalone self-esteem or healthy self-esteem, if you don't like my terminology, since a young age. That I know even if you have healthy self-esteem or standalone, healthy standalone self-esteem, people will probably still tell you that you're not good enough. They will probably still tell you that even if you gave something your very best shot, worked yourself to the bone, that you're not good enough, or the job you didn't good, you did wasn't good enough. I hope that I hope that does not happen to you. Except that I know it's happened to me and continues to happen to me, and I know it happens to other people. So I think it's fairly common. Now that's painful. There's just there's just nothing pleasant about being told to your face. You're not good enough. It's awful. It's just painful. It's terrible. Now, because I've had a lifetime of that, though, I I don't buy into that. Now, it's very sad when it happens. And sometimes I know it's projection. And sometimes I know it's because the other person got triggered. And sometimes I know there's other reasons. And sometimes I just am like, I don't really care. So what we, what we do know is that since 2018, when I got kicked out of therapy for being too healthy, we've kind of been dissecting Lisa. We've been pulling myself apart to figure out how how did I end up this way? Well, initially in 2018, it was stunning and shocking, all the things I learned about myself that are good, healthy things that had me get kicked out of therapy, which I cover in my podcast titled, What is Therapy Anyway? If you haven't heard that one. Yet this putting myself under the microscope really ramped up, like became under the microscope on steroids since the summer of 2022, when I learned that I had extraordinary emotional processing skills. I had no idea I had good emotional processing skills, let alone extraordinary, because that was not one of the things that the therapist who kicked me out of therapy in 2018 mentioned. She might have known that, but I think she just got sick and tired of going over stuff and was just like, get out of here. So we've established more or less a timeline. Since I was a young age, based around around roughly 20 events, milestones, situations, decisions, circumstances that happened before I went to college that provided the opportunity for me to have this sense of self-love, self-appreciation, what I'm calling standalone self-esteem. So this is not one thing. You know, as I said, it's like 20. It's like so many things, but it's very powerful to appreciate yourself. It's just really, it, it feels really good and it's, it's actually authentic. And it's also powerful to be kind to yourself. It pains me greatly. It pains me more than you know to see some people be so hard on themselves. They are just very unkind to themselves. So 
I've had a lifetime of trauma, as I discovered in 2018, getting kicked out of therapy, yet I've had this miraculous life. And because of all these different situations, events, circumstances, etc., that we've put together in kind of a backwards timeline, you know, that it makes sense of how I ended up this way. Now that we've deconstructed and pieced together, when did we, when did I have rational thinking? Okay, when was I doing this? What did I say to this teacher? Like, what book was I reading in 10th grade? Blah, blah, blah. Like, it would make sense that I turned out this way. Of course, <laughs> it's been, it's been a quite a deconstruction process. But my point is that you might have low self-esteem due to a trauma or an adverse childhood experience, abuse, mistreatment, a sibling, a parent. You know, you could have a long list of reasons why you have low self-esteem if this applies to you. But you do not, you are not stuck with it. And I don't want you to be stuck with it because it's not powerful. It's painful and it probably hurts you in more ways than you understand. I mean, I don't know what your level of understanding is, but for most people that I work with, this is a very damaging thing to their relationships with other people because they're adding negative content to conversations that wasn't actually said. So you are not stuck with this and I want you to have this appreciation of yourself. Look, I'm I'm probably the most flawed person in the world. I have a lot of flaws. Some of them we've covered over and over again in the different podcasts. You know, I have I have no intention and no desire to be perfect. And in fact, we know that it was in the sixth grade that I had a little confrontation with the teacher who called me perfectionist. I called him out. We had a conversation. Then he went, I'm sorry, you're right. Because I wasn't a perfectionist. But you know, it was very, so it's not a long story, but <laughs> it, was a, it was a good story. And, you know, it was like, you know, like, uh, hey, anyway. All right. So building self-esteem. Instead of working on your feelings of feeling good about yourself, you're going to work on other areas. The first area I am recommending in this short list of suggestions is that you understand the power of your mind. I do have a podcast by that title. My reason for suggesting this first and foremost is that once you begin to understand the power of your mind, hopefully then what would follow logically in a rational thinking person's mind is, oh, you'd be more interested in how you think and learning to control your mind and your thoughts if you understand the power of your mind. So that's a place to start straight away. The Power of Your Mind podcast, it's very interesting. It's fascinating. That's number one. Number two, the influences on your thinking. We are in no way in society, in my humble opinion, talking about this. But the way that you think and how you think influences your feelings and, and everything you do. Like your thinking is an integral part of your life. So your emotions can be driven by a thought. If you have the thought that guy doesn't like me, then you'll feel a different way. If you have the thought that girl's into me, it gives you a different emotion. Your thoughts and your emotions are intimately wound up together and your thinking is pivotal. 
Now, in the podcast titled Influences on Your Thinking, I lay out 16 different aspects that can influence your thinking, which is very helpful. So I want you to first understand the power of your mind, and then I want you to start looking at how do you think? What influences your thinking? And hopefully those first two things, the power of your mind and influences on your thinking, number two, will lead you to number three, which is learn to control your mind. Learning to control your mind, also the title of the podcast, has been done, written about, talked about, discussed since the beginning of mankind. It literally has. You can find the ancient philosophers, writers, leaders with famous quotes about this. I do have a podcast on learning to control your mind, which gives you some ideas, but there's many different ways. This is going to be very helpful in you in nurturing and building self-esteem because part of the issue with some people who have low self-esteem is they, they tend to be, tend to be negative thinkers. And when someone tends to be a negative thinker, what also frequently travels with that or comes with that is brooding, ruminating, catastrophizing, overthinking. And sometimes a person with low self-esteem who happens to be a negative thinker and happens to brood or ruminate or overthink or catastrophize, they get into this swirling vortex where they could talk themselves out of the Nobel Peace Prize after it's been awarded to them. Like they could talk themselves out of anything using their mind. So learning to control your mind is ex is extremely helpful, period. It's just very helpful. Number four, be mindful, be present. Interestingly enough, the ancient writers and philosophers have also talked about this, written about it. You can find famous quotes. This is very valuable. It, it kind of marries along with learning to control your mind learning to be mindful and be present, of which I have a podcast on, will help you in learning to control your mind. So, so far, all four things together work together in perfect harmony. We've got perfect synergy, perfect harmony. And these are different suggestions, by the way, than my earlier podcast on low self-esteem. So you might want to start with that one if this seems too advanced for you. But it's, this is not too advanced for you, okay? So knock that off. That's low self-esteem talking. All right, number four is be present, be mindful. Number five is grow your emotional processing abilities using my free workbook. Now I'm saying using my free workbook because you do not have to register and because we've now distinguished since last year that my workbook is about the thinking and thought process and the, the whole process that happens in your mind. And what's on the internet that we can find so far is physical things you do outside of your body, like punch a pillow, cry, draw a picture, rip up a picture, make a gratitude list. These are all the things you'll find, which are, which are great things. I'm not dismissing or disparaging those things. That's not what my workbook addresses. Now, emotions are a part of the issue with low self-esteem. Actually, emotions are part of the issue of almost everything in life, or I should say the lack of emotional abilities. It is extremely likely, almost 100%, like high, high percentage, that lacking emotional abilities are contributing to any sense of low self-esteem. 
Part of learning emotional abilities and emotional intelligence is accurate self-perception and accurate self-awareness. If you viewed yourself the way I view you, you'd probably feel like a million bucks. Like I see people for who they are, not always, <laughs> not always because I haven't had a con job now and then. It might be a little too trusting. That might be one of my flaws. Um, and I see people, these magnificent, beautiful people for who they are and they don't see themselves for who they are and they feel like they're a loser. So grow your emotional abilities using my free workbook. It now has a nice cover and a table of contents. And probably we're on version 6.0, probably version 7.0 will come later this year. This is life-changing. I kid you not. I've been told the workbook's direct, easy to use, straightforward. If you have something else to say about it, get in touch with me. Number six, use neuroplasticity as a tool. Neuroplasticity is one of my favorite things. That and psychoneuroimmunology. Well, I have a lot of favorite things, but... You can use neuroplasticity to help you change your temperament. You really can. You could use affirmations. You could make signs. This means you're going to use intentional actions or stimuli or stimulus or whatever over time to rewire and reprogram your brain. The, the, oh, it's just this is fascinating research. And there are lay people books on rewiring and reprogramming your brain. You don't have to take my word for it. And of course, I already told you there was like a quarter of a million hits on neuroplasticity. This is like, this, neuroplasticity is game changing. It's a game changer. And I do have a podcast on that. Number seven, love and affection. Oh, people, people, people. So one, I want you to begin to love yourself. And for some of you, that's way too much of a stretch. You couldn't even imagine loving yourself. So for you, I'd say, well, how about you just start liking yourself? How about if you just put the bat down, put put the, put the darts down, put whatever you're using to beat yourself up, put that down. And how about if you just start liking yourself? How about if you just start appreciating yourself? The other aspect of love and affection is you bringing love and affection into your life. That's you giving love and receiving love and affection, which could be platonic, it could be romantic, or it could be both. That's your choice. Dealer's choice, it makes no difference to me what you pick. The difference it makes to me is that love and affection from good people now, of course, we, we don't want bad people in your life, makes a ton of difference. So bring love and affection into your life. I have many podcasts now on love and different aspects of love that will help you. Number eight, <laughs> reward yourself. I am a fan of rewarding yourself. Why? Because life is hard. Why? Because it's helpful to have motivation to stay in the game, especially when life is hard. Why? Because it marks your progress. There are so many reasons why which I cover in my podcast about having a reward system. Listen, they're very fun and amazing. I highly recommend them. So this idea of whether you have chronic low self-esteem or it could be regular so low self-esteem or it could be every now and then again is extremely painful. Let's not kid ourselves. It's a problem and it may be, it just may be a bigger problem 
causing more issues in your life than you might be aware of. It's, it's possible, it's actually likely. But yet you can over time nurture, build and grow your feeling worthy, deserving, good enough, lovable. I've given you my top eight suggestions, which is where I would start because it's logical. My mind, once you understand the power of your mind, hmm, you might go, oh, wow, my mind is extremely powerful. Yes, I'd like to take advantage of the power of my mind, and that might lead you to the next thing of wanting to learn to control your mind and everything else I said. So that's why I'm recommending that because we've 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 grown in the last couple years than than before. And my goal for you is that you are happy, healthy, and well-loved in life. That's what I want for you. Having low self-esteem, whether it's irregular, regular, chronic, high, low, low self-esteem is painful. It's not good for you. My suggestion, other than the eight suggestions I've given you, is take one day at a time, one moment at a time, one little piece here and one little piece there and reward yourself along the way because you can using neuroplasticity of the brain change anything about yourself seriously anybody tells you otherwise it's time to pull out the research people let me know how i can help you because i do love you and i do care i really want you to have this amazing life that's it for now I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life podcast, episode number 207, Inferiority Complex, Imposter Syndrome, or something else. I certainly hope that you are going to start moving yourself towards living your best life, starting with understanding the power of your mind and everything else because I want you to have this great life. Share this podcast on social media. Help create a better world. Help get people thinking about what they're doing so they can have a better life. And let me know how I can help you. I do love you. That's it.